0: fellow citizens our way of life our
1: very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts Several shots were fired as president kennedy's motorcade passed through downtown dallas none of us will ever forget this day yet we go forward to defend freedom and all that is good and just in our
0: world and please.
1: are you coming Yes! of that character. I have a dream today.
0: Welcome to the Hagman Daily Show, weekdays, 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And now your hosts, Joe Hagman and John Robertson.
2: Hello and welcome to this Friday edition of the Hagman Daily Show. So glad to be here today. We have a great show planned for you. Pastor Langford is with us and we're going to get to him in just a minute. I want to open the show today by playing this exchange between Sarah Huckabee Sanders and White, CNN's White House correspondent Jim Acosta. I posted this to the uh, to Hagman Report last night. Uh, I would urge everybody to listen to this, to watch this if you have not seen it yet. This is why Sarah Huckabee Sanders is the press secretary. And I believe she is uh, probably one of the uh, best at her job in my lifetime uh, of seeing press secretaries uh, come and go. She is probably the best I have ever seen. But listen to this exchange between Jim Acosta and Sarah Sanders, as Jim Acosta is pressing her on uh, trying to say that the media is not the enemy of the people. He keeps Uh, saying, Hey, would you, would you please address the president's comments and and tell all of us here in this room that we're not the enemy of the American people? And this response from her is golden. And we're going to listen to that. And then then we're going to jump in uh, with Pastor Langford talking about a number of things, Revelations 13 and uh, prophecy. But this exchange in my mind is, is so important for, uh, people to pay attention to. And, uh, following this, uh, Jim Acosta went on Twitter to complain uh, about this exchange and I read, I probably spent about 45 minutes last night reading that Twitter feed and I would say 98% of it was uh, against Jim Acosta. So this is not the sentiment of the normal average American. This is uh, his sentiments are the sentiments of crazy people. But listen to this. This is uh, worth every second.
0: Follow up on uh, on Sarah's question from NPR. She asked you about Ivanka Trump's statement that the press is not the enemy of the people. And she asked you whether or not the press is the enemy of the people. You read off a laundry list of your concerns about the press and and things that you feel like are misreported, but you did not say that the press is not the enemy of the people. And I I, I think it would be a good thing if you were to say right here uh, at this briefing that the press, the people who are gathered in this room right now, Uh, doing their jobs every day, asking questions of officials like the ones you brought forward earlier, are not the enemy of the people. I I, I think we we deserve that
3: i think the president has made his position known i also think it's you, ironic telling us, i'm, I'm Sarah, trying to answer you know, your question okay, well, I, it, I politely waited and i even called on you despite the fact that you interrupted me while calling on your colleague well, i said it's ironic
0: which is why yes, i interrupted i'm trying but if you if you finish you know, if you would not mind letting me have a follow up that would be fine but. it's
3: ironic Jim, uh, that not only you and the media attack the President for his rhetoric uh, when they frequently lower the level of conversation in this country. Repeatedly, repeatedly, the media resorts to personal attacks without any content other than to incite anger. Uh, The media has attacked me personally on a number of occasions, including your own network, said I should be harassed as a life sentence that I should be choked. ICE officials are not welcomed in their place of worship and personal information is shared on the Internet. When I was hosted by the Correspondents Association, of which almost all of you are members of, you brought a comedian up to attack my appearance and call me a traitor to my own gender. In fact, as I know, um, I'm as far as I know, I'm the first press secretary in the history of the United States that's required Secret Service protection. The media continues to ratchet up the verbal assault against the President and everyone in this administration and certainly we have a role to play but the media has a role to play for the discourse in this country as well and
0: and sir if you don't mind if i I may follow up if i may follow up excuse me you did not say in the course of those remarks that you just made that the press is not the enemy of the people are we to take it from what you just said we all get put through the ringer we all get put in the meat grinder in this town and you're no exception and i'm sorry that that happened to you i wish that 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 had not happened but for, for the sake of this, this room, the people who are in this room, this democracy, this country, all the people around the world are watching what you're saying, Sarah. And the White House for the United States of America, the President of the United States, should not refer to us as the enemy of the people. His own daughter acknowledges that. And all I'm asking you to do, Sarah, is to acknowledge that right now and right here.
3: I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. Um, I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. I'm here to speak on behalf of the president. He's made his comments clear.
2: And there you, excuse me, and there you have it. Uh, She really gave it to Jim Acosta there. And and if you listen to that guy, uh, the, the, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It, It's this uh, attitude that. You know he is owed something uh, when all that CNN and himself has done is is continued, as Sarah so eloquently put it, to lie about the president, to lie about the personnel that are around the president. And as you heard her say, she is the first press secretary to require Secret Service that after an incident where she was kicked out of a restaurant. And these people want to continue uh, to talk about you know themselves as not being the enemy of the American people when they can't tell the truth. Uh, about anything. uh, They certainly are the enemy of the American people. And the moment they stop lying about the president is the moment that they will come back into civilization and be recognized as not the enemy. But I think that exchange is so important and so Uh, In in, when we look at the political climate we have today in this country and how uh, terrible it's gotten, we documented uh, what, you know, Jim Hoft from the Gateway Pundit has as well, over 540 acts of political, unprovoked political violence against Trump supporters. uh, And, and, you know, they're worried about uh, their own safety, the journalist's safety, when they're the ones who are creating and, and, and responsible for creating this mess. Anyway, we have with us. Um, a great friend of the show, Pastor David Langford from The Voice of Evangelism is with us. And we're going to be talking about Scripture, about Bible prophecy, about the book of Revelation, specifically Revelation 13. Now, Pastor Langford, I know we uh, had a few minutes to chat. I watched a documentary. It's uh, titled From America, From Babylon to America. And it's a two-hour documentary um, that this guy puts together. And it's all about how uh, he, he's... he's uh, using Scripture to interpret Scripture. And this man at the at the ends concludes that the first part of Revelation 13 is the uh, Vatican and the Pope, and he goes on to conclude that the second part, the second beast in Revelation 13, is America. Now, I don't necessarily uh, completely agree with this guy, but he does use Scripture to, to verify his claims, and he makes some, some interesting statements. And I know I, I haven't sent you the video, or I don't know if you've seen it or not, but I know you have a book, uh revelation 13 that you've written so you're kind of i'd say you're an expert on the subject um where should we pick up this conversation do we want to uh read through revelation and then uh talk about what exactly it says and means uh how, how do we get this going pastor hey pastor langford can you hear me are we still yeah we're still connected huh that's weird let's see pastor are you there huh that's very interesting we were just talking off air before I played the clip uh, so we'll, we'll continue to move forward here uh it, you know the uh back to uh Jim Acosta real quick What Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, talked about, about the White House Correspondents' Dinner and about being uh, personally attacked to the point where she needs her own secret service, and the attack on her uh, physical appearance, the attack on how she talks, how she conducts her business, uh, all that stuff is well documented. If you look at the, the press, and what this press has done is created such an atmosphere of hatred, of anger, of contempt of lies and each and every day they build on that instead of coming to the table and sitting down and seeing how they can work with this administration how they can work to better the American people they like a child throw a temper tantrum and like little children they you know they stamp their feet they scream you know give me my binky and they don't get it And these it's just going to it just continues to get worse instead of, you know, the child tiring some themselves out uh, from from crying and and the hysterics. uh, The opposite is happening because these aren't children running out of energy. These are grown adults and media conglomerate corporations that have the backing of the Federal Reserve and the deep state. So they don't run out of resources. They don't run out of energy. So they continue in their temper tantrum. And what's really unfortunate for the American people is that some of the people have been duped into believing to the point where they will commit violence against their fellow man, their fellow American, where they will uh, not even be able to have a conversation. You can't even get them to come to the table to have an honest debate. And it's really troubling to see the continued lack of civility, uh, humanity, and the lack of truth in the political discussion. And I don't think what Sarah Huckabee Sanders said is going to change anything on the other side of this, from Acosta to CNN to any other news networks. But she certainly made a point, and that point was heard loud and clear, that as long as you're going to continue to lie, as long as you're going to continue to uh, launch these personal attacks, as long as you're going to continue to label the president uh, the way that you do and his supporters the way that you do, there is not going to be any civility. And it is directly responsible— to the media themselves. And I, I think that point was made uh, excellently. Pastor Lankford, are you with us? Hmm, I don't know what happened here. Let me pause the show and see if I can't get a hold of him separately. Pastor Lankford. Hello? All right, folks. Sorry about that. We do have Pastor Langford. Somehow we got disconnected on Skype, so uh, just disregard that last thirty seconds there. Uh, he heard the uh, part, the question about the uh, America, Babylon to America, and the two-hour documentary where this guy makes the argument that uh, America is the second part of Revelation thirteen, the second beast. And I've heard that uh, before. This is not a new interpretation, but Pastor Langford has written the book uh, Revelation thirteen revealed. And uh, I'd say he's an expert on the Bible, 40-plus years of, of being a pastor, and, and this man, I think, uh, has the Bible written in code in his brain uh, and, and can and recite it from memory. Pastor Langford, it's great to have you on the show. And, and where do we start with this uh, discussion?
1: Well, it's, it's for a fact, Joe, there's coming an end-timed beast, and uh, I reckon the most uh, difficult thing is interpreting whether it is a literal government, which I believe it will be. It will be empowered by Satan, which it will be according to Revelation 13, and there will be a man uh, that will obviously uh, have control of this government, this last beast government. Uh, Revelation 13 and 2 says, And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and his great authority. So we see there in verse 2 that the dragon, as we well know, is is the devil. Uh, That's that's easy to be understood in Revelation 12 and 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. So we see that that dragon here in verse uh, 2 of chapter 13 is the devil. And he gives him, the Antichrist, his power. He gives the Antichrist his seat and he gives the Antichrist great authority. There have been those who have thought that the Antichrist may possibly be the personification of Satan. But that's not what the Bible says. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, Paul said, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So this man, whoever he may be, will not be the personification of Satan, but he will be endued with this power from Satan. Therefore, he has his power, he has his seat, and his great authority. So there have been a lot of discussion, discrepancies. Uh, You might say, who is this beast, this man? Well, I don't believe anybody knows. I believe it is a genuine... Revelation to the church, the body of Christ, and when he is manifested, that's when we will know who he is. If you remember the Last Supper with Jesus Christ and his disciples, he was sitting at the table and he was telling them, someone here is going to betray me, and the disciples began to question Christ, is it I, is it I, is it me, who is it? They were the inner circle, they were the closest to Christ, but they themselves did not know who the Antichrist was, the son of perdition, until Jesus dipped the bread in the sop and gave it to Judas Iscariot. That was a revelation to the other 11 apostles sitting there. Now, I believe this revelation is expressly for the church. You cannot expect the world... We cannot expect sinners, we cannot expect people who've never been born again to know who this man is. Now three times, this is why I'm so adamant in it being a revelation, three times in second Thessalonians chapter two, it talks about the man of sin being revealed. In verse three it says, "Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed." the son of perdition. Verse 6, And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. And then verse 8 says, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So it's going to be a revelation. Uh, There's been a lot of prognosticators, uh, a lot of false prophecies, uh, a lot of statements made uh, emphatically. Some have been emphatic. So-and-so is the Antichrist, but it comes and it goes. Why? Because it will be a revelation to the Church. And, of course, we know there will be those who say, well, that's not possible because the Church will not be here. They say, well, the Church will be raptured out of here before the Tribulation. But the problem with that is this epistle, 2 Thessalonians, is written to the Church. And only the Church, those who are attached to the body of Christ, can receive revelation. First Corinthians two fourteen. Paul said, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they're foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So it's going to take the Spirit of Christ in our lives and a knowledge of the Scriptures when these things are truly made manifest.
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is the verse that says wisdom uh, begins with the fear of God. And, and you know, you begin there and you start your journey through the scriptures as uh, as you continue to grow. The scriptures continue to grow as far as uh, uh, what they say to you, what they say to the world and uh, reveal themselves to be the, the true uh, word of God and, and prophecy. One third of scripture. Uh, is uh, so telling of the the nature of the Lord, he, that, who who's the author of everything from the beginning to the end. Uh, but you said something, Pastor. You mentioned the the Thessalonians verse uh, where it mentions who's uh, the Antichrist, whose power is coming after the works of Satan. Is that the same uh, as when they say in Revelations, "For Satan gave his power unto the beast"? And and uh, that's the right. Beast. Okay, because
1: that always confusing why... Well, see, that's. That's why we talk so much about reconciling the scriptures. You take you take Revelation thirteen and two and then you read Second Thessalonians two nine and you say, How do I reconcile these scriptures? Well, there it says in Revelation thirteen two he gives him his seat, power, and authority. Then Second Thessalonians two nine says, Even him, who, the Antichrist, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceitfulness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So uh, Satan is going to, you, you, uh, I reckon we could say he's going to anoint him. He's going to crown him. Uh, same as, as, as God the Father anoints and crowns Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, Satan is going to anoint his Messiah. But he will not embody this man. It's a spiritual application. When the Bible said in John thirteen twenty seven, then Satan entered into him, Satan didn't actually take up residence in Judas Iscariot's body. But Judas Iscariot gave over to that spirit. Judas Iscariot is called the son of perdition. In John 17, in the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus calls Judas the son of perdition. Paul, in Second Thessalonians 2, 3 calls the Antichrist the son of perdition. Why? Because they're, they're, they're both uh, going to basically do the same thing. Uh, uh, S- uh, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. So again, they're synonymous in their actions and deeds, because what they do is give over to the power of Satan. Judas did it for uh, 30 pieces of silver. The antichrist will do it thinking he will become the ruler of the world. And he he will rule, but not the whole world. He will rule in portions of the world. He will not be able to overtake the whole world because uh, trouble's going to come out of the south against him in Daniel chapter 11, and he's going to go make war with them. So if he had control of the entire world, why would he then be having a battle? Uh, with another country, another nation out of the south, so he he's not going to have world dominion that's that's their goal that's their goal right now uh, all these uh, leaders, all these governments who want a a world without borders, well, that's not going to come to fruition. that's what they want that's what they want so uh, if you go back and you read uh, the last closing verses there in daniel chapter 11 you will see that uh and he he goes forth with great fury the bible says to destroy Uh, but he will not conquer the whole world that's their desire that's been satan's desire from the beginning but god will not suffer it to come to fruition
2: very interesting and uh very important i you know i've always uh Uh, After reading through Revelation, it it did make sense that uh, Thessalonians, and it's interesting that you chose the word anoint. uh, The devil is going to anoint an antichrist. And uh, again, you you mentioned that people always try to identify this person. But from the way I understand it, the way I read it, uh, this kind of unveils itself. I don't even know if this man understands uh, uh, who he is until that uh, anointing uh, happens. And there is a, a, a lot of debate about, uh, you know, the who is it? where is he from, is he from the Middle East, is he from America, is he from, you know, uh, Italy, and, and on and on. But uh, as you point out, the scriptures tell us everything we need to know. And it's also interesting that you mentioned that there will not be, uh, so so what we talk about, a one world system, there is still going to be uh, fracturings, there's still going to be divisions and, and problems in this system. Uh, if there are uh if they're having to contend with uh, different regions and and peoples and armies that will it says that you know for a time the christians will be overcome uh in all this but this is also what the uh scriptures men- mention as the patience and faith of the saints and this is uh fascinating to me and we can bring the uh the topic of of the as you mentioned the, uh, the rapture is a rapture pre-trib or post-trib you and I pastor both believe both believe that there is no pre tribulation rapture that the church will go through these uh, the, the wrath of satan on earth uh, before the wrath of god is poured out and the uh, you know we see it all the time the persecutions increasing in in the middle east in these other countries especially islamic countries we see even in in the communist china the persecution against the church is, is increasing and it's only a matter of time before it comes to america what do you think we do we need uh, I guess if we're going to go through uh, some of the prophecies of the end times the battle of Gog and Magog how does this fit into revelation and is this something that's before or after uh, I know in the in scripture the the battle is not only before Christ returns but also after his millennial reign but how does that fit into to revelation
1: Well I believe there's going to be a third world war and I would almost I I believe that that world war is the first battle of Gog and Magog in uh, Ezekiel chapter uh, 37 and 38, uh, mainly in 38. But there's going to be this battle. But then after, you have a, after all of that, after Christ returns, after the uh, fulfillment of the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, there's going to be another event that comes out or comes out upon the earth at the close of the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. And that's when Satan, in Revelation 20 and verse 7, he is going to be loosed out of his prison. He's been in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. When he's released, it says in verse 8, And he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. He's going to lead this battle against God, Jesus Christ, at Jerusalem. Because it says in verse 9, and they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city. The beloved city is Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And it will be at that point in time, in verse 10, when the devil uh, will be cast into the lake of fire where the false prophet and the Antichrist have already been for a thousand years and they will be tormented together forever and ever. Now those Gog and Magog there speaks of people as well as I believe a certain entity but during the thousand year millennial reign of Christ there will be those who will be naturally born into the millennial kingdom. They'll be just like you and I are now. They will have the the choice, the the free moral agency to do just like we've done, uh, to do like Adam and Eve has done, God does not make anyone serve him. So if they choose to rebel, and there's no doubt there will be those who will rebel, uh, because that's why the fire of God is going to come out of heaven and going to consume them. But even see, the reason that's going to take place is because the enemy, the last enemy to be destroyed is death, and death will not have been destroyed yet. And so in Isaiah 65 and 20, says, There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. Uh, If he remains a sinner, he will die lost and undone without God. There will be death during the millennial reign for natural-born people. That is not applicable to you and I. That's why Revelation 20 and verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such the second death hath no power. We we have been raised anew in Christ, and so we don't have to worry about that because we're going to have glorified bodies. But those people that are naturally born that go into the millennial are going to have to accept Christ as a Savior and a Redeemer, and if they do and they don't rebel, they will go into that eighth millennial kingdom, which we don't have a lot of information on that. But we know, in, according to First Corinthians 15 and 24, Paul said, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign, Christ, till he hath put all enemies under his feet, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So death will not be destroyed. The entity, the death and hell that we see in Revelation chapter 6, riding the chloros, the pale horse, death and hell followed, those are literal entities. Death is a like a, like a person. Uh, uh, it is a, it is yeah. a spiritual uh, person, if I can say that, uh, the, like the, the grim reaper uh, with the hood over his face and the sickle. Uh, So it's a literal entity. I I don't know how to describe it. I know it's real. But we do know Jesus has conquered it. But he will not suffer it to be destroyed at his second coming, but until after the thousand-year millennial reign. That is so those who rebel in that thousand years will be subject to death if they do not accept Christ as their Savior. So... There are a lot of things that I would be I would be derelict if I said, I understand it all. I try my best to understand it. I, I pray about it. I, I try to search the Scriptures. But some of this stuff is, is far-reaching. And for the sake of trying to stay accurate, you don't, you know, hypothesize Scriptural, spiritual things. If you don't understand it, you don't understand it. If you do, you do. And, and so people start, you know, making hypotheses, per se, Uh, It's trial and error. Well, you can't treat God's Word in a mode of trial and error. It is pure truth. There's no error. It's just we grapple and struggle as human beings to grasp all of that. So there's going to come this end-time government. It's going to be desirous. Satan's going to be desirous to control the whole world. What this boils down to, Joe, Satan wants to be worshipped. That's what Satan wants. He wants to be worshipped. Worship. That's why he told Jesus in Luke's Gospel, according to Luke chapter 4, he showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. He said, they're mine to give to whomsoever I will. If you'll just fall down and worship me, I'll give them to you. That's what Satan covets. He's, he's envious. He's jealous over Jesus Christ. He wants that worship, which is rightfully Christ and Christ alone. But he covets that. He covets that. And so that's what he wants, because, let's face it, when you're worshipped, you are treated as a god. There's something innate in every human being. I don't care where you live in the world, Russia, China, Thailand, Laos, uh, you know, Vietnam. People want to worship something. There's something inside of man. What is it? It's the breath of God, the soul. And it knows there's a supreme deity, Knows there's a supreme majesty, and they want to give uh, attribution to it. And, of course, paganism makes idols and all sorts of stuff and make up false doctrines, and this is how you worship God, or this is how you get to God. One of the great mysteries is in Deuteronomy chapter 4, and verse 15, when God said to Israel, I came to you in no similitude, no image or likeness of anything that you know. Why did he come like that? He came in fire, vapor, smoke, thundering, because if man had seen God man would have been trying to have made something like God, which would have been idolatry, an idol. And so we've never seen a manifestation of the Father other than a voice, fire, smoke, thunder. We see the manifestation of Christ, but the manifestation of the Father is never seen because Jesus told uh, Philip, he said, Philip, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when you go from Genesis to Revelation, it's always the manifestation of Christ. Even the pre-incarnate manifestations in the Old Testament were always of Jesus. A doctor friend of mine were talking one day, and uh, he, we were talking about the fall of Adam and Eve. He said, yeah. He said, and the Lord God came walking in the garden that day. I said, that's not what it says. He said, yes, it does. I said, get your Bible out and look. So he Googled it at his phone. I said, it says, and they heard the voice. Of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day it's the voice they never saw God John 1 18 says no man no man when he says no man he's even talking about Adam and Eve he said no man has ever seen God at any time the only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father he hath declared him so every time there's a manifestation we see Jesus. I was, I've been doing a teaching on the Godhead uh, recently, and uh, I tell people go to Revelation chapter one. Excuse me, Revelation chapter five, verses one through seven. You know, there's two entities there, but you never see but one. Jesus, the Lion of the Tribe of Judah, stands up and goes and takes the hand out, or takes the book out of the ha- hand of him that sat on the throne. But we never see who that person is. We know it's the Father, but we never see him. Yet the the John says, I saw him that sat upon the throne, and in whose right hand was a book. But he ne- we never see the Father. But then Jesus stands up and he goes and takes the book out of the Father's hand. But again, no manifestation of the Father. But you know he's there. See? So... This is, where this, is, this, is, uh, this is some deep theology here, and I'm not trying to get off track, but Jesus Christ is always the representation. of. And, and when we see something in the flesh, in the natural, it's always Jesus Christ. Uh, every time when Abraham saw the three angels, what he perceived was three angels, one of them was Jesus Christ. That's who he was negotiating with, 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. Then in John chapter 8, Jesus said to the Pharisees, they were having an argument. He said, "Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad in it." And they said, "You're not yet fifty years old. How could Abraham have ever seen you?" He said, "Before Abraham was, I am." Abraham saw Jesus in John, I mean, I, uh, Genesis chapter 18 when those three angels came. That was the pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ. So, Satan, this is why he's going to have a, a, a trinity a false prophet, an antichrist, substitutionary of the Christ, and himself. So he's trying to create that, that the Godhead himself in these three persons. Uh, so this is, this is why it's so important uh, for people to get back into their Bibles. You know, they're reading about how to be prosperous, how to do this, how to do that. We need to know about God, because the more you know about him, the know you more about a person as an individual, the greater you can understand that person. Why did they react like that? Why did they say that? When I said this, why did they look, that, that look they gave me? When you know a person, you you know that look. You understand that look. You understand their, their emotions, their feelings. Well, the more we get, the closer we get to God, the more we understand God. And, of course, he's given us his word. So then we see and understand the word in a greater way. I spend... So I, I can't tell you the hours I spend a week in the Scriptures. Last Saturday, I spent five and a half hours. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I spent five and a half hours in studying my Bible last Saturday alone. Uh, I have a, a, a an appetite for the Word of God. I want to know God, uh, and you know I always tell people, no man has a claim on God. Joe Hagman, you can have as much God as anybody in the world the question is how much does god have of you right see that's 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 the choice
2: yeah and that you know brings up uh to my mind the, the scriptures when it talks about uh the judgment day and, and when everybody is uh uh, coming before the Lord, and, and he says, uh, did we, somebody says, you know, did we not uh, cast out demons in, in your name, and did we not uh, commit miracles in, uh, in your name, and he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. That verse frightens me, if I'm being honest, and I understand, uh, at least at some degree, and go through different levels of understanding of that verse. But it makes you wonder, are those the kind of people that we see, uh, you know, this apostate church that we see today? Uh, It can't be. uh, And think about this as believers. Do you fall into that category? Do you know the Lord? Do you pray to the Lord? Uh, is, Is there a personal relationship there? And we have to start there, and then you know we, we go from the 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 understanding and worshiping into action, and and putting our our uh, uh, our beliefs and our our actions into that belief system, meaning following the Lord's commandments. And we have to continue to grow in that. And if we're not growing in that, then we are, I believe, in danger of falling in that category of the of the people who says, you know, depart from me. I never knew you. And I'm in agreement with you on this, Pastor Langford, about the ability to lose salvation people have the belief that the one saved always saved but I do agree that you can lose your salvation and and you make uh, a great argument on uh, this uh, scripture on these scriptures when you say you know when you you have something uh, and you attain it it can be you can lose it uh, just as easily as you as you can attain it and do you think that if you are born again you can just continue to live uh, in, you know, the the sinful nature, and everything's going to be all right. Uh, That's not how it works. Uh, Do you want to speak on this, about the once saved, always saved? Because I know this is a point of uh, debate and a little controversy in uh, the church.
1: Well, sure. Uh, Let's just go to Hebrews two one. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have hurt, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, that word slip there in the Greek... Means to literally leak out as an oil leaking out of a vase. You are that vase or vase. If you're dignified, you say vase. Second uh, Corinthians four seven. Paul said, "But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us." So that's what he said. We have this treasure. What treasure? The spirit of Christ in these clay jars, these earthen vessels, which lets us know all the time that the excellency of the power is of God and not of us. And so we have people who say, well, you, know, you, you can't lose your salvation. Uh, Hebrews 12 and 15, looking diligent, lest any man fail, the word there actually should be fall of the grace of God. Paul says you can fall from grace. You cannot fall off of a ladder unless you get on the ladder. Revelation 2, 4, and 5. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against it because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Remember whence for thou art fallen. And repent, and do the first works. Whoa, 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 whoa. What were your first works? Repent. So if you fall from grace, you have to go back to your first works, not your second works, not your third works, not your fourth works, but your first works or else. I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou removed. If we fall from grace, God takes the candlestick, His light. He's the, He's the menorah, He's the lampstand. Jesus said, in John eight twelve, I'm the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now, I, I know what uh, people quote all the time. No man can pluck you out of my Father's hand. That is so true. That that's unbelievably true. Nobody can pluck you out of the Father's hand. That's John ten twenty nine. But guess what? You can leave any time you choose. Yeah, we're God a, did not even
2: We're sorry, our worst enemy in that regard, Pastor. That that's Absolutely. right on the money. See,
1: see, God does not leave man. Man leaves God. Did God l- leave Lucifer? No. Lucifer left God. Did God leave Adam? No. Adam left God. But here's the problem. And this is what you alluded to there in Matthew 7 a minute ago. They'll say, Lord, Lord, in that day, we we not cast out devils in thy name, prophesied in thy name, and done many wondrous works in thy name. What they have done is backslid. They were in, but they got out. It's like a marriage. You get married. I get married. People get married. There's nothing to keep me anytime I want to. I can walk out on my wife. And nobody can stop me. Nobody. She can't stop me. The only way she can stop me would be shoot me and kill me. But unless she does that, I have the free will to walk out. When I was a parent, I had the, uh, or still am, but I had the ability to walk out on my children, abandon them. Every man has that choice. So when, you, you know, the people try to use, my father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. That's true. The devil cannot pluck you out of God's hand. He cannot separate you from the love of God. And I tell people this. Tell me the difference between a sinner fornicator and a Christian fornicator. Tell me the difference between a Christian drunkard and a sinner drunkard. Tell me the difference in a sinner adulterer and a Christian adulterer. You see, the fact is, there is no difference. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. This is why Paul says, be not deceived. Don't deceive yourself and think you can live in sin and still be saved. He says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abuse of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. So if you profess professed to be a Christian, but you're always getting drunk, don't fool yourself, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But when people start embracing false doctrine, that's when they become blind to the truth.
2: And we, you know, we, we so often talk about um, one of the, the things in the mainstream media that's been over the last few years is this, Culture of perversion that the mainstream uh, media and, and government has been embracing with the homosexuality, with the transgenderism, and, and now pushing that onto uh, children. And as you just ran through uh, a number of, you know, the, the being a drunkard, those are the people who are feminine, uh, all these laundry lists of, of sins, uh, adultery, um, the, the sins are equal. There's not one greater than the other. Uh, uh, People will say, you know, murder is obviously the the worst sin. Yes, but they all are are equally uh, evil and destructive uh, on a personal scale. And we cannot, um, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is we cannot uh, try to categorize, uh, you know, sin. Well, at least I didn't do this or uh, justify it in any way. And I see that a lot in the church. And it's, uh, you know, the world we live in, uh, I definitely believe we are in the end times. We are seeing the uh, beginnings of this apostasy that the scripture talks about. For this will not come unless there is a falling away uh, first. And we see these churches today uh, have gotten so far from the truth. And it's uh, it's very hard to watch as we see all the other institutions of power uh, remove God from the governments to the schools to uh, just about everywhere in our society. And now the church is doing just that which leaves uh, us open and leaves us uh, ripe for a time of deception. And Pastor Langford, while well, we have the, the time, uh, back to Revelation 13, um, where it, it talks about that the first beast. It talks about two beasts, and it says that uh, the, the first beast uh, was to dwell upon the earth, all that worship him, whose names were not written in the book of life. And it, it says he exercises all power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonder so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in sight of the beast, saying to them on the earth they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. If we can, I, wanna, I, I don't want the show to pass without covering this. Um, the first beast and this head wound, I've heard it described as the uh, Catholic Church having its authority taken away uh you know by I think it was Napoleon uh and, and for a period of 1260 years until uh you know the America in, in the uh 1798 I believe until it regained some of that uh, or that's when its authority was taken away and um I've heard it described as as other things what do you Pastor believe is the first beast and the head wound is this talking about a literal head wound on a man or is this uh, a a metaphor for something else
1: You know, this is gonna sound like a real big Shakedown, but this is why people need to buy my book Revelation chapter 13 revealed I'm gonna give some scriptures here. It is a man and I believe it is an a stroke It's a man. He receives a stroke now. There were some people You remember when Ariel Sharon had a stroke? Yeah. Went into a coma? There were people believing he was that man, the Antichrist. Again, they were wrong. But why would I think that? There's Bible for why I believe that. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 17 says, Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The Antichrist is unfaithful, so he abandons the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm. And upon his right eye, his arm shall be clean, dried up. His right eye shall be utterly darkened. What happens to people many times when they have a stroke? They have paralysis in their extremities on one side or the other. The Bible said the sword, not a physical sword, I believe it's a spiritual sword, shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. So I think it's his right side. His arm and his eyes shall be clean dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. Now, we have a lot of people who are dogmatic in a pre-tribulation rapture who tell you that the Antichrist gets killed and raised from the dead. That is as great a heresy that's ever been perpetrated on the church. You just read it. Revelation thirteen twelve. His deadly wound was healed. It is a known fact. If you get people to the emergency room quick enough and give them a shot of a particular medicine, it will negate almost all of the symptoms of a stroke. But you have to get them there. Uh, it, it's something to do with the uh, uh, the coagulation, the clotting of the blood, to thin it, where it can't do that and create that damage. You have a wet stroke and a dry stroke. A dry stroke is when there's a shortage of blood getting to the brain. And then you have a wet stroke. That's when it's a, a bursting of a vessel, and then there's blood on the brain. So they're, they're exact opposite, but they do the same thing. That part of the brain is damaged. All this is in my book. I, I went, I, I, when I wrote this book, I took every verse... And I exegeted every one of them, one upon one. I mean, just took them all apart, dissected them, all the way down to verse 18. The first beast, and I believe this with all of my heart, is a man. Don't know who the man is. The second beast is the Pope. Because there's no other religion in the world that has more apparitions than the Catholic Church. And the Pope is purportedly the vicar of Christ. This man is going to be side by side the Antichrist. And he, he is going to have power as well. There's no other greater man in the earth yet than the, than the, than the Pope of the Catholic Church. He's going to have the people to create an image in verse 14. That they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. What does he do? And this second beast has power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So this, this, there's going to be some unfathomable apparition take place. This image is going to come alive. Now, this, the reason this is so important you know, Steve Quayle, Tom Horn, these guys are into transhumanism, robotics, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Half human, half man. I mean, half human, half robot. This is what you're watching right now. You're watching the mingling and the mixing of humanity with technology. and they're, they're, they're called hybrids. There's so many hybrids now in the world. You've got hybrid golf clubs. You have hybrid cars. Everything is becoming crossed. The Bible predicted this would happen in the time of the end. And it talks about that in the, uh, 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 Daniel chapter 2, verses 41 through 43. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay, that's the, hum- that's the human part, and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with the miry clay. That that's humanity. Drop down to verse 43, Daniel 2:43. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. Seed of men. I'm not being ugly here, but now you have sex robots. You're, you're, you're having yep. virtual reality, sex, robots, this it, it's a world that is what I would deem borderline fourth dimension. You know it's there, but you're not a part of it yet. but they're trying to bridge the gap. They're trying to bridge the gap between what's actually real and what's out there in that fourth dimension, which is, which is demonic. That's the demonic part. I've said this and I'll say it till I die. I don't watch horror movies. I don't watch any of that junk because there's something about it that's evil. But I've seen enough commercials, these mechanical creatures, these mechanical beings that look demonic. Where does men get these ideas? They've crossed into that dimension. I call them spiritual membranes. They've broken through a membrane and they've went to the other side, whatever that is, fourth dimension, uh, outer space, whatever you want to deem it, Twilight Zone, Uh, whatever you want to call it, this is where they're going. And there's another world out there that is so real. Actually, that world is more real than the world we live in because we're flesh and blood, we're going to die and perish. That world never ceases to exist. When Elijah, uh, the Syrians were trying to capture him, he was in his little cottage by himself with his servant and the servant walked out and said, Oh, my God, look at all the soldiers. We're, we have no hope. And Elijah said, God, open his eyes and let him see the host of heaven. God opened the servant's eyes. He saw all these chariots, all these horses, all these soldiers, heavenly hosts, an army. And he said to Elijah, They that be for us are more than they that are against us. So when he could see spiritually the, 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 the chariots, the horses, the, the angelic host. He said, they are more than what we're looking at here. Well, he had a calm and a peace come over because he knew they're going to win the battle. So that world exists. I remember one time I was praying, and I was walking up and down in front of my house praying. And the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, if I were to open your auditory system, if I would let you hear and I would let you see what's taking place in the heavenlies, he said, you could not handle it. It would drive you insane. It would drive you crazy. And I said, what do you mean? The chariots the clattering, uh, the clanking, the sparks, the cinders, that's literally taking place in the heaven. There's warfare up there. Revelation 12 and 7 says, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels. This is not some kind of uh, Casper the Friendly Ghost war. This This is a literal, physical, spiritual war going on in the heavenlies. And, you know, that's why it's so dangerous to try to... To, to, to dabble in that realm, that sphere. I, I really believe people sometimes press through a membrane, they get out, they can't get back in, whether it's through hallucinations, drugs, whatever, and, and something happens to their mind. The mind is such a delicate thing because it, it, that's, that's, the, that's, that's who you really are, is your mind. You're just in a clay jar. If we swapped minds, people would say, that sounds like David Langford, but it looks like Joe Hagman or vice versa. It would be because of our mind, our knowledge, our, our, our personality, our traits, character traits, etc. Well, I believe there are people have gone out there, have, have delved in that stuff, because they want power, they want authority, they want uh, grandeur, they want glory, and they come back, they get back. And they, they do these things, and it brings in innocent people who are seduced and lured into this ungodliness. You've got to remember... When I use the word ungodly, that simply means they were once godly. If your shoe is tied, and I look down and it's untied, I'll say, I won't say, you never tied your shoe, I'll say, your shoe's untied. Well, every angel that was before the fall were godly. They rebelled. They therefore became ungodly angels, and they cast their lot with Satan. Again, God lost Satan, and according to uh, Revelation 12, he lost a third of the angels because it says that the the uh, the devil, the dragon, his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did he cast them to the earth. So again, he's talking about angelic creatures uh, being a part of this. So you know, we're 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 I mean we're going so fast in technology. I mean I, I would say to somebody today if you're an entrepreneur and you want to you want to make money, uh, you have. If you'll find something in the the computer industry, the computer dispensation, that that's where it's all going. You know that. that I, and I'm not in it. Don't care about it. I don't have a debit card. I don't have one pin number. I don't operate like that. Uh, I just read today where I think it's Chase Bank uh, is wanting now just to do away with all credit cards, and then you just tap with your phone something to do with the the machine there at the grocery store. or Uh, service station, or wherever you are. See, they're going to this system. And, of course, the Bible goes on there in Revelation 13, and he calls it all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hands or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, say he had the mark or the name or the number of the beast. And so all of this is coming. And just because Trump is in office, this stuff has not stopped. It will not stop. This is nothing more than a reprieve. But all of this stuff is still coming to fruition as you and I are talking. The technology is there even greater. Uh, You know, I've learned enough to know that if I go on the computer and I I Google golf clubs, I come back tomorrow, guess what's all over my computer? Golf club advertisements. They're watching us. And
2: Pastor, uh, we are at the uh, end of the show. We got about 30 seconds left before the the music drains us out. One of the interesting things that I've seen done is even if you mention a product that you've never used before in the presence of a phone or a computer, sometimes you'll see ads pop up to that effect uh, that same day or later, which is very creepy. And we're going to have to have you back on another time to talk about the The uh, technological increases that we're seeing, but I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It was a a very interesting show, and I hope uh, people uh, pay attention to what was said. Uh, Just a a great job, and thanks for your time,
1: Pastor. Thank you, Joe. Have a blessed day. You too. That'll do it for us
2: for the week. Don't forget tonight, Hagler Report, seven p.m. SimplyCleanFoods.net is our sponsor. We will see you next week. The Hagman Daily Show
0: is brought to you by The Hagman Report. Tune in to The Hagman Report weekdays, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. For more information, go to HagmanReport.com. That's HagmanReport.com.